This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Who is your best friend? Who is the person that you have felt closest to? Maybe you've had different stages in your life where you've had different friends that you would say, this is my best friend. Maybe you had one of those little necklaces that said, uh, be fry on one side and saint ends on the other side and you pop it in two and you would share it with the person. How many, don't raise your hands, how many of you had that necklace, right? (laughs) My wife, Brandy. Mm -hmm. What is that, what you're saying though, you're like, this is a person who cares about me. This is the person who I'm entrusting myself to, who who knows me, who's able even, because I've given them permission, to challenge me, uh, to invest themselves into me. Well, at Woodland Church, over the course of this school year, we have sought to grow in our friendship with the Apostle Paul. He's become a friend to us as we've studied the book of Romans. He's been challenging us with God's word about what it means to, to live by faith and to live under the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul has become a friend to us, but, but Paul, like any good friend, is willing to challenge us when we need to be challenged. He's willing to say things to us that we need to hear, because why? He cares about who we are, and he cares about who we are becoming. And so normally on a, uh, Easter weekend, we would pick out one of these passages from the gospel about the resurrection of Jesus, but I thought it would be helpful for us to look at what does Paul say about the resurrection? How can Paul's view of the resurrection inform us and encourage us and shape us to be the people that God wants us to be? Because you see, Paul in Romans has said things to us like this. It'll, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our justification that we are justified in Christ is just as if I'd never sinned because of what Jesus has done. He writes also, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. In Romans 6, he writes, uh, and he encourages us with these words. You see, Paul has been a friend. He's been challenging us. He's a mentor. He's guiding us into the way of truth. He's encouraging us to live by faith. He's reminding us that what is true in the world is the gospel of Jesus. And you think about Paul as he writes to the church in Rome, that city of of magnitude, of significance, of military power, a political power. Well, now we're going to reflect this morning on the city of Corinth, a different kind of city, A city that's filled with the lustful passions of the world. He's writing to his church to encourage them and to show them what, what is of first importance. So what is it that is so important for the Apostle Paul? Listen to what he says in verse 3 again. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He's giving to us that which is of first importance. And in one word, it's the gospel. The gospel, it literally means good news. It's an announcement about what God has done. 
Think about that. It's what God has done. If you want to talk about what Christianity is, it's, it's the word done. Every other pattern and way of life is about what we do to get closer to God. But the Christian faith is that it's done. It's done because what Jesus Christ has done. Not what we do. It's what Jesus has done. You see, if you get that wrong in life, you're constantly going to be thinking, I've got to be a better person in order that I can demonstrate my goodness to the world or I can demonstrate my goodness to this God who's done something. You'll be doing and doing and doing. But if you believe in what God has said through his word, that Jesus Christ raised from the dead and you trust in him, and you'll be rejoicing and celebrating and acknowledging God as good because it's already been done. So this Sunday and every Sunday and every Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, what it's really about is what Jesus has done. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. You see, Jesus Christ, this is a real guy who had a real life, who literally actually died. He literally went to the cross. He gave his life, just as the Bible said. The Bible, God's word to his people. And it's actually true that literally on the third day, he rose from the dead. Just as the Bible throughout time had predicted that it was going to happen. It's, it's true. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. It's true. And it's of first importance. And I'll give you three reasons why. Three reasons that it's of first importance. First of all, it's because the gospel saves us. Remember, Paul said to the church in Corinth, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. The gospel is of first importance because it saves us. He writes, by which you are being saved. The question is, are you saved? It's a question probably because you live in Memphis, in the South. You've had this question asked of you before, usually with a good Southern accent. Are you saved? It's a question that you've probably encountered. I remember when I was uh, from, I'm from Florida, I was selling books door to door in South Carolina. And I was sitting in a home making a presentation, trying to get the sale. And the mom asked me, are you saved? And I didn't know what she meant, but I said yes, because I thought I'd get a sale. Now, listen, I grew up knowing the story of the Bible, but I didn't really know what that meant. And I think that there are some traditions probably that overemphasize that question. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider it. Because Paul says, by which, through the gospel, you are being saved. What does that mean? What does it mean when he says you're being saved? Saved from what? Well, the Bible teaches us clearly that we're being saved from our sin. We're being saved from death. You see, when God commanded Adam and Eve uh, to do, to take over the garden, to tend it, to, to care for it, that he would be in perfect fellowship with them, he said, you can do anything in here you want, but don't do this one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they broke God's word. And so sin entered into their lives. It entered into the creation. And it has damaged it damaged their relationship with God. It damaged their relationship with other. The conflict between husband and wife began. And so what happened is that sin entered in and so did death. And it's a reality for all of us. Sin distorts the world in ways that 
prevent us from being able to see in the way that God sees. It's like going to the carnival. You know, you, you've been to the carnival and they got those mirrors that make you look really funny and you're all wide on the top and whatever. And, you, and you're like, this distorts my view of myself. We were watching that show Shark Tank, you know that show where people come in and they present their product and a lady came in with a skinny mirror. It was a skinny mirror, and she said, I'm wanting retail uh, dress shops and clothing stores to buy this mirror because it makes you look more fit than you actually are, right? Instead of making you look goofy, it makes you look like buff, you know, wow, you look great. And so if, we sell, if you buy this mirror, then people are going to buy more of your clothing. Well, she didn't get a deal with the sharks. But sin affects our vision that way. It makes us think we're better than we actually are. It makes us think we're better than we actually are. Well, you know, what I said about her really wasn't that bad. It wasn't that big of a deal. Well, you know, this situation, and this is not my problem. I don't have to deal with this. You know, I'm basically a good person. I'm not selfish. I'm not. I'm just looking out for number one, right? Don't you got to look out for number one? Those things and so many other things that we tell ourselves are a distortion of what's true. We do use our words to hurt or harm people. And it is our problem if we live in a community. And yes, we can do good things, but we aren't fundamentally at our core fundamentally good. Sin separates us from God. It separates us from each other. It breaks our relationships our relationship with ourselves, because we don't fully understand who we are. Sin is missing the mark. It's us in a broken relationship with God, with others, and the world around us. This relationship, this sin, it affects even how we feel about ourselves. Listen to this. In the United States, we're experiencing an extreme teenage mental health crisis. From 2009 to 2021, the share of American high school students who say they feel, quote, persistent feelings of sadness or helplessness rose from 26 to 44%. That's a significant increase. And it's more than just dealing with the effects of COVID. It's the highest level of teenage sadness ever recorded. And what are the causes of this? Maybe it's overuse of social media, disconnection in relationships, constant amounts of bad news that are coming down through your phone into your watch right into your brain Overcommitment with things in the world but there is no doubt that we live in a world of doubt we live in a world of anxiety of fear of loneliness of isolation and all these factors contribute to our sense of isolation from our own self and don't tell me that this has not impacted people who aren't teenagers do any of us feel anxious? Do any of us feel angry? But what the gospel says is that despite our brokenness, despite our lack of relationship with God, self, others, and creation, that we're worth something. We're worth something beautiful and worth something glorious that the God of the universe would come down and enter into time and space and literally give his life up for us. That's what we're worth. And so in spite of the fear, in spite of the anxiety, in spite of all those things, we know that God has saved us from something. 
The gospel is of first importance because it saves. The gospel is of first importance because it focuses. In much of life, as I mentioned, we are occupied by things that are less than important. The tyranny of the urgent matters that are not of first importance. The score of the game. What's the weather? What's for dinner? How's my bank account? Now, these are not unimportant, but they're not of first importance. We must eat food every single day. Cheering our team is a fun thing most of the time. Not yesterday, but most of the time. Come on, we're going to do it, Grizz. Managing your resources is a wise endeavor. You should be doing that. These matters may be urgent, but they're not always important. And see, there's a tendency for us to put those things that are urgent or less important before that which is most important. And I would suggest to you that the gospel focuses us on what is most important. Uh, This week, uh, Tim Keller, who is a pastor in New York City, was interviewed in an article about his diagnosis with pancreatic cancer. Uh, He's an influential pastor, and he went to New York in in the late 80s to plant uh, an evangelical Presbyterian church in a very secular and progressive city. It was kind of a risky move, but this church has grown, and it's actually become, uh, I think, four or more campuses now that Tim has retired, and it's been very influential, and he also created a network called City to City, which is a global church planting organization. But he said when he received his cancer diagnosis, The doctor looked at he and his wife and said, I want you to realize that when it comes to pancreatic cancer, you're going to die from this. The vast majority of patients live less than a year after diagnosis. He said that day was like a kind of death for him. He said, my wife and I spent much time in tears and disbelief. He continued, we expected some illness to come and take us and we felt really old. But now, not yet. This couldn't be. What was God doing to us? He said the Bible, and especially the Psalms, gave voice to our feelings. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Wake up, O Lord. Why are you sleeping? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Maybe you have felt similar feelings as you have faced a difficult situation in your life a struggle with anxiety, a broken relationship, a bad diagnosis. I know the stories of the people in the room and how these matters have harmed and hurt your life. And yet, these kinds of realities bring great focus to us. We realize that, you know, yeah, I've been in disagreement with people. I've had these difficult relationships. I've had disappointments. But you know what? There's something worth more in pursuing Because I realize what the gospel is, that Jesus has saved me from sin and death, even though I have a death sentence. And here's the deal, friends. Everybody in the room has a death sentence. For some, it will come earlier, but we're all under death. And because of that, because of the gospel, we realize that we should be focused. Focused on what? What are you focused on? See, when Tim was, uh, he asked about, how this mortality and this diagnosis changed how he saw his life. He says, on an emotional level, we really do deny the fact that we're mortal and that our time is limited. 
The day after my diagnosis, one of the words I put down in my journal was focus. What are the most important things for you to be spending your time doing? He said, I had not been focused. So here's the question. What are you focused on? Uh, do you remember back in the old days when cameras had lenses that you had to turn, right? <laughs> this is a long time ago. They didn't have automatically focusing cameras. You had to turn it. What would you do? You would see something through the lens, or maybe you were in a microscope and you're doing it like this. You'd see the object, but it was blurry. And so you would make adjustments to that thing that you were viewing so that you could bring it into focus, so that you could see it with clarity. On what are you focusing your life right now? Are you focusing your life on the most important things? That doesn't mean that the email doesn't ever get responded to. That doesn't mean that the grass doesn't get cut. It just means that taking time to focus on that which is most important, which is to me, loving God and loving others is what the gospel brings out to us. We're focusing on that which is of first importance. Uh, Brandy shared with me that someone told her one time that most of our lives we spend gazing at our problems and simply glancing up at Jesus, when instead we should be gazing at Jesus and glancing at our problems. On what are you focusing? On what are you gazing? And finally, the gospel is of first importance because it gives us hope. Later in the letter to the Corinthians, he writes, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Paul is saying, we have hope in this life, yes, but not only for that. We have hope in the life to come. We have hope in both aspects of our life. What a great thing. Yes, we have hope that we can go to heaven and be with God, but we also have hope in the midst of the challenge and of the difficulty of this life because of the resurrection. Some people have said that in our culture right now, we're experiencing a crisis of hope. People don't see a horizon about what can be, and so they are hopeless. We live with suffering. We live with evil. We see death and anxiety and hardship, and we're constantly, like I said, bombarded with bad news, stories of struggle. People are hopeless. But listen to this. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then God is going to do something in the end to make all those things right. Suffering will go away. Evil will go away. Death is going to go away. Getting old is going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. Loneliness, chronic anxiety, fear, depression, turmoil. It's all going to go away if the resurrection is true. If it really happened, then there's hope in the world. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote an essay called On Fairy Stories. And he said that there's an indelible human longing that only fantasy or fairy tales or science fiction can really speak to. He says that all human beings have a fascination with the idea of somehow escaping time or escaping death or, or holding communion in some way with other uh, living beings. 
There's this sense that if we live long enough, we can fulfill our artistic and creative dreams or even find a love that perfectly heals. There's something intrinsic in us that longs for that. And he asks, why do we have these kinds of longings? Well, as a believer in Christ, he thinks the reason is because we were not originally created to die. We all deep down kind of know that this is the way that life ought to be. And if the resurrection of Jesus Christ happens, then all those things are literally going to come true for us. So then you have this paradox. On the one hand, the resurrection is a very concrete thing to talk about. Like, you know, what is the evidence for this historical event? And if you would like to do some study on that topic, I would encourage you to read N.T. Wright's book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, The Objective Truth About What Happened. But then there's this other aspect of the resurrection that's more subjective, the feeling that we get, the sense that we have it in our hearts. Once we accept it, the truth of it, then suddenly... There's no limit to the kinds of things that we can look forward to, the kind of hope that we can have, the renewal of relationships, the fighting of injustice in our cities. We have hope because of the resurrection. So what about you? Are you living a hope-filled life? If not, maybe you need to really consider the truth of the resurrection. Are you living a life that is focused on the most important things? If not, maybe you need to consider the reality and the relevance of the resurrection. Do you understand that your life needs saving, that you need to be saved from something, certainly from hell, but also from a life without meaning? A life that just means going from one activity to the next, one form of entertainment to the next, to the next experience, the next gadget, the next game, the next bonus. If the resurrection is true and we believe our life means something, then we can experience that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, we sang a song, Jesus Christ is Risen Today, and it was written by a man named Charles Wesley. And when he considered the truth of the resurrection as a matter of first importance, it totally changed his life. He had been going through the motions. He had been raised in the church, but he was going through the motions. He and his brother John went to uh, Georgia from England to go on mission, and it was not a great experience for them. But then somehow God impressed upon his heart that the gospel was a matter of first importance, and it changed his life. He got married to a woman named Sally, who was much younger than he, and they had a beautiful relationship. They had eight children, but only three of those children saw adulthood. Can you imagine having five children go before you? Their life was marked with suffering and hardship and difficulty, but he also wrote nearly 7,000 hymns, 7,000. They said that he averaged 10 lines per day for 50 years. Do you think he was focused on that which was of first importance, giving his life for the cause of the gospel? John Wesley was the great preacher, and his brother Charles was the musician, and they got brought a renewal and revival throughout all of England because they focused on what was important. Hear these words that he said. Love's redeeming work is done. Fought the fight, the battle won. 
Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. Christ has opened paradise to you. Is it a matter of first importance in your life? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from Woodland Presbyterian Church, maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. Again, if you'd like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at woodlandpres.org. Thank you very much, and God bless you today.